One quick note for you. I want to talk a little bit about Veterans Day, too. But uh, Nancy Perry, a dear sister in Christ, passed away suddenly this week. Um, she went peacefully. Susie said uh, she was just sitting in a chair and went to be with Jesus. And funeral arrangements are pending. Also pray for Rhonda and her family. Uh, funeral here yesterday for her sister. And thank you for coming. Had a great turnout. Um, it is Veterans Day weekend. And... Uh, If you have served at any branch of the military, will you just stand for a moment so we can honor you and thank you for what you've done? Don't be shy. Thank you. It's awesome. I was uh, I was in a store yesterday and um, the lady at the store, this is a tradition we don't follow here in the U.S., but I like it. Uh, she was passing out poppies, these little um, kind of purple flowers that people wear. And the guy that was standing there said, like, why, why are you passing out poppies? And I just chimed in and I said, well, you know, in, in, in Canada and in Britain, places like that, they celebrate what they call Remembrance Day and they wear these poppies. And then they read this beautiful poem called uh, The Poppies Field. And um, it's just a wonderful way to remember that there was so much sacrifice throughout the years, and um, my, uh, my father was in the military. My two uncles uh, were the ones that were first in line at the concentration camps when they were freed. One of my uncles got sick and was never the same, and I just had a chance to see this, the price that was paid before me. So I'm so thankful for you and thankful for what God has given us, freedom in this country, and people that are willing to defend it. So thank you for that. We are talking about Joseph. I love, I love this series because it's a, it's, a, it's a marvelous way to tune in to God's work. And as we look at this whole series, the theme verse we know is in Genesis 50, verse 20. The first part says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And so we see that, and we know that evil was done to Joseph, but we also know that God was working in the life of Joseph the whole time. And God was transforming Joseph. God was taking Joseph from being the shepherd boy in Canaan, this Nowheresville place, and then putting him to the highest level of leadership in this mighty nation of Egypt. It's quite an amazing story. Only God can do things like that. But he's also transforming us. And if we are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us. We have Christ in us. And so we are being transformed. And so as we look at our own lives, I want you to know this morning that, that the, the power of God can, can take separation and make it reconciliation. He can take addiction and he can make it freedom. And, and even more so, he can take eternal darkness and make it eternal life. That's what God can do. That's the power of God. And so today I want to give you hope that you can, well, number one, survive Because for some of you, I know, you get up in the morning and you say, I can't do this anymore. But I want you to know that God is in it and God can do anything. And I want you to know that you can have victory. You can have freedom. You can be forgiven. Because that's what God does. That's his thing. But last week, Neil did a great job of talking about this period in in Joseph's life where he he was forgotten in prison. And that's part of Joseph's story. It's darkness followed by God moving. 
And so we know that God is doing that. It had been 13 years now as we land today from the time he had the dream. And the dream was is that he would rule. And it seemed like an impossible dream. But it happened. And today we're going to see it happen. Because what happens in this first part of this section that we're going to look at in, in chapter 41 is that finally Pharaoh has these dreams and Joseph is brought forward to interpret the dreams. And these two guys you did time with, if you want to put it like that, the baker and the cupbearer, forgotten him. Cupbearer remembered, repented to Pharaoh. Baker was hanged. Not a good ending for him. But for us, it's a great ending. Because God's plan was at work. And so if we look and see what's happening up to this time, we see that when Joseph comes before Pharaoh, he's going to tell Pharaoh that, yeah, I'm going to interpret your dream, but it's not about me. It's about God interpreting the dream. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is God's story. So many times we look at these biblical stories, we, or we think about our own lives, and we think about how we're directing it, or how, how the, the story moves forward. But God is the one that is directing our story. He's the one that's in our story. He's pushing the story forward. And he makes very clear that that's the story here. And then he does the actual interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, and they're troubling. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will, be, there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. And God will shortly bring it about. Famine, the power of God working in the story. And isn't it interesting here that he uses the weather to bring a story about? It just always brings my mind back to Jesus in the boat. When they're going across the Sea of Galilee and the storm whips up and Jesus just calms the storm. That's the kind of power we're talking about. Only God can do that. God is in this story. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn now, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 41 beginning in verse 41. We've, we've set the table. We know where we are now in the story. Joseph has interpreted those dreams. You can grab that Bible that's in front of you in the pew, and you can also go to our Ridgewood app, and you can download it. And guys, I know what you're going to do when you download my app. You're going to be checking, like, the injury reports, Vikings and, and Redskins. But listen, try to stay with it, all right? Try to stick with us here. The injuries will take care of themselves. And I know what that's like, because I've probably done it, but let's not talk about that right now. So we pick it up now in verse 41, in chapter 41, and we're going to see all these transform, this, this transformative power of God moving Joseph to where he needs him to be. And it's a very short part that we're going to read here in 41, but it's powerful. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now that's a simple phrasing, but it's powerful in the sense that the dream has come true. And, and we look and we see Joseph over here, but we see all of these things that are happening to Joseph. But God all the time is working. 
And here he puts Joseph over Egypt. This is no small thing. Egypt was a, a mighty, mighty nation. This is a, a, a nation that's lasted 5,000 years. This is a nation that invented arithmetic. This is the nation that invented the 365-day calendar. And during this period of time, over 3,000 years, they were ruled by pharaohs. What they thought were gods. And this is where Joseph is. So it's a mighty nation. And its strength now, it's at its zenith. It's the most powerful nation on earth by far. And guess who's going to be made second in command? A Jewish shepherd boy. And if you were reading this from the outside and, and you're just reading a historical document, you didn't understand Joseph's story, you'd say, what? Must be a mistake. No, it's no mistake at all. A Jewish shepherd boy is going to be made second in command of the mightiest nation on earth because this was what God needed to happen. So how does this happen? How did, how did Joseph sneak into the picture? Well, we'll find out because only God can do that. But what I want to touch on here is this miraculous now exaltation of Joseph. God is pulling all of this together. And Joseph is going to rule, and it's going to be in spectacular fashion. Now, not too long ago, the tomb of Tutankhamun was found, which is uh, an Egyptian find that dates not too far from Joseph, maybe 500 years each way. And the artifacts will help us understand a little bit about what was happening in this exaltation ceremony for Joseph. And then we're going to tie it into what's happening to Jesus and then for us. We, we know that he got a signet ring because in 42, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Go back to the signet ring just for a minute. The signet ring was really important because this identified you as a representative of the king, of Pharaoh. You, did, you stamped documents with this. It was like your pass all over. But this meant that Joseph, the Jewish shepherd boy, was now acting as the king. So it's hugely significant. And then if you want to just get a glimpse, a little bit of the beauty, um, this find was a necklace that was in that tomb and it may have been something like that but you can see that it's no small thing this is gold these are incredibly rich jewels that joseph was being adorned with as the ceremony went on and it reminds me of the prodigal son where jesus told the story where he comes back and the older brother's really angry because what does the father do? The father gives him a robe. The father gives him a ring, signifying his love for him. But the older brother is jealous. Well, the brothers were the dream killers in this story. And in Jesus' time, it's the Pharisees. So as Jesus told the story, the Pharisees were right here. And Jesus is saying, you're, he didn't say explicitly, but this is what he meant. You're the older brother. I'm being crowned. And you're the ones who are jealous because you don't understand the story. But you understand a little bit of the incredible richness that came here. And then in 43, we see that he rode in Pharaoh's second chariot. Here's a chariot that was found. That's pure gold, incredible riches, and spectacular. But guess what? You and I are going to inherit 
something far more spectacular than this. Because this story mirrors Christ. It mirrors the way Jesus was exalted. And then the Bible is very clear that we will inherit because we are his sons and we are his daughters. And so as we watch this ceremony happen, think about what it will be like for us. In 43, it's continued. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Just as he set him over all the land of Egypt. Here's the mightiest nation on earth. Who are they bowing to? A Jewish shepherd. 30 years old. Only God can do this. And yet in our own lives we doubt the power of God. We, we read these stories and somehow there's a disconnect. Well, yeah, he did that then, but... Now, it's the same God, same power, same desire to bring out good in our lives. And so, this incredible command goes out, bow the knee. And then Pharaoh, in 44, installs him as what we could call the prime minister, the second in command. I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And then finally, in 45, there's a change of name and a marriage. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zavanath Paneah. We don't know the meaning. But he said, it says here that he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went over all the land of Egypt. And I don't want to walk by this verse because what's happening here is that Joseph is being enculturated. He's literally becoming like an Egyptian. And so the text here and Joseph's story walks this fine line between being enculturated into this pagan nation and its practices, but yet being faithful to the God to which he has pledged his allegiance, to the God who is powering the story. And we see here that Joseph is becoming about as Egyptian as you can get without actually being Egyptian. But this had to happen because Joseph needed to rule. And so God is all over this. And again, as we, look at this, as we look at this story, we see that it's just insane that a Jewish shepherd boy would be in this position at all. It would be as if you, you take a, a country like the United States, which is probably most people would consider to be the, the most powerful nation on earth, and you're on a missions trip in India, and you found a, a, a young boy, and he's in, he's in the slums there, and you bring him over, and he becomes the vice president of the United States. And you go like, that would never happen. You know what I think? I don't think the phrase, that never would happen, is in God's vocabulary. And I don't think that God is any way or in any form ever deterred by what seems to be impossible. In fact, I think God relishes the opportunity to break down walls and show his power. And so you're looking at things in your life right now that seem insurmountable, that seem to be something that's going to dog you the rest of your life. I'm just telling you that God is going to power through there with you, ahead of you, and for you. But the command does ring out. Bow the knee. Bow before God. And, and I think what we, the, what we run into so many times as believers is that we, we have this idea. Yeah, we want God to work. We want Him to go before us, but we're, we don't want to bow down. And so that's a problem because God works through submission. I read a great a great tweet from a friend of mine in Canada, and he was, he just said really, really simply, he said, 
hey, pastors, you're not a brand. You're a broken, saved servant of Jesus Christ. That is the same for all of us. Yet we're all out there trying to create our brand, our, our reputation, our careers. God is the one that we need to submit to because he's going to make it happen. And so this is what I'm getting to here. The exaltation of Joseph mirrors the exaltation of Jesus. There are so many parallels here that it's just really exciting to look at and see them. Because it will, again, reinforce this challenge. Bow the knee. Bow before him. We see the suffering servants together. We can read Isaiah 53 and we understand this happened to both men. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify, that save many, and he will bear their iniquities. That's the weight of sin would be on him. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. After all of that suffering, Joseph legitimately suffered. When, when, when he looked at his brothers and he said, as for you, you meant evil against me. He wasn't joking around. They meant evil against him. They did evil against him. But then there came the exaltation, just like for Jesus. And then you look at Hebrews and you think about this ceremony and, and you can just see it kind of ring out. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He was crowned with glory and honor. The the person we serve named Jesus Christ is the one who rules the universe. The one who has been crowned. The one who is the representation of of God in every way because He is God. He is the essence of the Father. He's the same essence as the Holy Spirit. And the call rings out to us, bow down to Him. I think bowing down is the hardest part of the Christian experience. It's the hardest thing to do because we are all prideful human beings that are struggling to walk through this Christian life. But the call remains, bow down. We had this men's thing last night. We ate a lot of meat, um, way too much meat, way, way too much pumpkin pie. I know that God will send a penance my way. I'll have to do some workout somehow. He'll probably have a tree go down in my yard or something just to, but, and, you know, just to get a workout. But we talked about what it was like um, in jobs. We had a panel and talking about what it was to bring the Christian life into work. And I, I just made a statement. I said, I think God, in my life, it's been all about humbling me. All, every step of the way. Not because God's trying to, to discourage me or, or drill me into the ground, but because He wants me to be free. He wants me to experience Him. So He's humbling me all of the time. And we can be sure that when we bow the knee, we will be bowing to the King of Kings. Notice that Joseph got a new name, and Jesus is the name above all names. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the church. And so you can decide to bow down now, or you can bow down later. 
But at some point, you are going to bow. And the stakes here are remarkably high. Because if we fail to bow down now and submit our lives to Jesus and follow Jesus, then this will happen when it's too late to be redeemed. Because the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take us to be his own. But the ones that have not bowed their knees will be cast away. And so this is really important. And, but, the, but the good news is that you can bow your knee. And I would encourage you, if you have not given your life to Christ, you know, we make it so hard sometimes. You, know, you come to church and, and you're kind of confused, like, what, what is all this membership class? And, you know, like, we don't have it here, but, you know, there's catechism classes in some churches. And there's, you know, this class and that class. The beautiful thing about what's going to happen next service when, when Marley is baptized is that Chad said, Brand new. We haven't had a chance to ruin her yet. She's, she's on fire. And so this is biblical. You know, she understands baptism. Let's, let's take joy in the fact that a life has been saved forever, eternal. And so this can happen to you too. Bible, the Bible makes it clear that bowing the knee to Jesus is the way to have eternal life. And so when we are willing to do that, when we understand that he is the exalted son of God, when we understand that Romans 3.23 is correct when it says that all have sinned, and then we believe and personalize the fact that it's our sin that he went to the cross to die for so he could pay the penalty for that, and then we just say, I'm, I'm yours, I'll follow you. A miracle in heaven happens, and you're saved. You have eternal life, and that's it. You don't have to... Put a whole bunch of new things on there. Now, obviously, you want to grow and you want to be transformed. We'll help you with that. But here's the thing. If you don't do that, the reverse side is, is there'll come a time when human history ends, you will die, and you'll lose your opportunity to bow down to Jesus and gain eternal life. This is such powerful imagery and, and such powerful prefiguring of Jesus, that we can just see the life of Christ walk all the way through the life of Joseph. And then we, we look at this bowing the knee as a key factor, and we say to ourselves, how did this happen? What is going on here? It wasn't long ago that we were reading about this boy who was, who was upsetting his family with this dream. Yeah. Because it wasn't his dream, it was God's dream. And... When God sends us forward to bow our knees, that's going to be his dream. Listen, you can choose. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you walk with Jesus, you can choose how many times you bow your knee. For me, it's pretty much ten times a day. But I know there are times when I choose not to. So what, where, where does that get me? It gets me a lot of heartbreak and pain. And I say stupid things, do stupid things. But God's going to call you. God's going to call you to submission because that's the only way that we can be free and walk with Jesus in a way that is not hindering what he's doing in our lives. And I would say, too, that this call to bow the knee is for Ridgewood Church. As a community, as a faith community, he's saying to us, listen, I've given you a mission to do, so go do it. And I've, I've just been more and more convicted in my personal life and as I, as I watch this culture try to interact with each other and how 
how desperately angry it is. And I say to myself, we, we, cannot, afford, we cannot afford to play church. And, and I'm just convicted of the fact that there are people that we interact with every day whose lives are not only broken temporally, but they're broken eternally. And I think one of the problems in the American church is that people are realigning and trying to figure out if hell is real. I'm just telling you hell is real, because Jesus said it was. But so is heaven. But we're the ones that have the mission to go forth and connect people to Jesus. So we can't play church. What I mean by playing church is, it's not for us. It's not for our satisfaction. It's not for our comfort. It's not for our, our own personal use. It's a, it's a tool, it's a community that we grow in together, and then we go out together and we reach people for Jesus. That's what our mission is. That's biblical. And on the 26th Thanksgiving weekend, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the vision of, of Ridgewood Church. But here's the thing. In order to do that, we have to submit to what God wants us to do. And so that's why we really believe that we can go into our community and make a difference. That we have to submit to all of the old ways and our habits and our own comfort and desire. It's really hard to do. But I believe that God has a huge future for Ridgewood Church. But just like in our individual lives, he's calling us as a community to bow our knees to him. So you see here that Joseph is exalted, Jesus is exalted, and now the dream is fulfilled, and Joseph begins to rule. Look at verses 46 through 52. This is amazing to me, too. Joseph was 30 years old. All of this happening just 13 years. And, you know, we have, we're all complaining about millennials all the time, you know. Ah, millennials this, millennials that. He's 30 years old. And he's going to run Egypt. And not only is he going to run Egypt, he's going to do a spectacular job of running Egypt. Just a note. So, he's 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. The Sanath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all of my hardship in my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So just pause and, and look at that for a minute. Not only did Joseph interpret the dream, Joseph took the dream seriously. And when there, were, when there was plenty, he stocked Egypt with all the food that the world would need, not just Egypt. He's a master ruler. He's learned the hard way. He's had to learn how to run Potiphar's house, how to run a prison. Now he's running Egypt because this is God's plan. Now Manasseh, this son, his name means forget all of that hardship that he experienced because of his brothers and his father in Canaan. And then the Ephraim is, is fruitful. God has made me fruitful in my new home. 
But here's what's really neat about this. Is that passage we just read? That's, that's Joseph receiving the blessing and the inheritance before Israel does. So in Israel, a Jewish audience that's reading this can say, oh, look at this is going to be the blessing that was promised us. And it's meant to give them hope and to rely on the covenant that God has given them. And then if you remember, Joseph had predicted seven years of good, seven years of bad. Look at 56. So when the famine spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe all over the earth. In order to eat spiritual food, the earth needs to come to Jesus Christ. That's the prefiguring that's happening here. Everything has completely turned upside down. The killers of the dream, his brothers, would now be saved by the dream. How ironic is that? They tried their best to stop this from happening. But now they're being saved by it because they're going to go there and they're going to buy grain. And this is God's plan because, you see, if Messiah was to come from Israel, there would have to be an Israel and they would have to eat. So they would go to Joseph and Joseph would feed them. And now the reunion is set. But listen, I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't, I don't know exactly your condition and your pain, but I can tell you this. I, I pastor enough people and talk to enough people to know there's an incredible amount of pain out there. And what I, what I want to bring to you this morning is, if, you, if you've been tracking with me, this idea that this is an impossible thing that happened. And that only God could have done this. And that God did do this. And that God did set up a scenario whereby Israel could be saved by coming from Canaan to Egypt so that Jesus could come into the world so that we could have hope and be redeemed. This, I want to give you hope in your personal life because there is hope. He can heal. He can reconcile. He can minister in the depth of your soul when you're, when you're grieving, when you're hurting. Because that's what he does. He can help you with your finances. God can do anything. And what I want you to understand is this whole story, Pharaoh didn't ultimately guide the future of Egypt. God did. So here's this pagan nation. Here's this pagan ruler. And and if you know anything about Egypt, it was was a pagan nation. God is the one that's guiding the future of Egypt. And so, God is blessing Joseph, and even a pagan nation is blessed because of God's blessing. But again, he can do this in your life because he's powerful enough to move the greatest nation on earth. And then finally, you know, he's ultimately guiding your life too. And so even on those dark days when you feel like you can't go anymore, you can't do this anymore, you're, you're tired, you're, you're, you're sick of doing what you're doing, and you're sick of dealing with the same problems, and you're just... Blah, I'm just telling you right now, God is right there with you and walking with you because what Joseph said is so true. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Satan, our enemy of our faith, he is constantly trying to destroy and distract and separate us and and mess with our relationships. But I'm here to tell you that God is more powerful 
And the command is there that we need to pay attention to. Bow down. That's where we find the power. Bow down. Trust God. See what happens. Let's pray. God, there's so much here. It's hard to do justice in just a few minutes. But I do know that you are a great and awesome, mighty God. So I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to understand you and your saving power. Teach us how to bow down. Teach us how to submit. Teach us how to be free. Teach us how to step into your story and be changed and watch the world change around us. Thank you for being a powerful, sovereign, and loving God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.